Psalm 107 is where we're at this morning, so open your Bible, turn a Bible on, grab a pew Bible out from in front of you. We really don't have, I don't have anything really on slides other than some images, and we're just going to go through uh, uh, Psalm 107 uh, verse by verse. That's one of my favorite psalms, Um, one of my favorite things, I I, I love this psalm, Uh, I think that this psalm is is such a picture of God's goodness and his grace and his, his work, his redemptive work in our lives. And, and it's a reminder for us as believers to, to think back about where we've come from, what God has done in our lives, and to be mindful that we are a people who are called to speak about this. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let us speak this from our mouths. Now, this psalm is always worth going over and I went, I've gone over it before, but I just thought this week, I'm like, this is worth looping back around to. And so here we go. Uh, psalm 107, verse 1. Now, now this, this verse, this, this psalm as it breaks out in these different stanzas, it, it's kind of interesting. There are four different scenarios that this kind of paints. Two of these are, are ones in which God actively kind of sends something. Something happens that God does something to change the scenario and change the outcome. The other two seem to almost be a, a pro- it's not that God isn't involved, don't get me wrong, but, but, but they seem to be enough of their own uh, effect that they, they bring an effect. In other words, God doesn't need to necessarily intervene and bring something into this. The, the, the situation in and of itself seems to be something that brings out this, this effect. And the effect always in these is that the person cries out to the Lord. And the Lord hears them and rescues them. You see, our God is a redeeming God. And so the first thing that, you know, what we're going to look at is this whole concept of redemption. Psalm 107, verse 1. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west from the north and from the south. So again, where do we start? We start by giving thanks. And why are we giving thanks? We are giving thanks because this God is good. Because he is a good God. This is the place that we're starting from. We're always starting from this place where God is good. If you ever are in a spot where you're starting from a spot where you don't think God is good, you're wrong. You have to reframe your own thinking and where you're at and your, your, your personal position at that point. We always start and there's a reality that God is always good. Now, it doesn't mean it always is feeling good to us. It doesn't mean that there's not difficult things. It doesn't mean that there's not hard things. Quite the contrary, actually. But God is always good. And so because of this, Because of his good, because of his steadfast love, it endures forever. It means it's never changing. It means that this God is loving us, and he's loving us from the beginning. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And there is nothing about this God that ever changes. There is no shifting of shadow in him. He is the same always. He is steadfast, and his love is the one thing that we can always count on, that we can always look at, and we can always just know that it is rock solid. 
Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Again, God's people, the call here is for us to speak, for us to recognize what God has done in our lives, that his goodness and his kindness and his mercy and who he's been in our own life. And we are to be a people who speak out of that place whom he has redeemed from trouble. Jesus told us a little something about trouble in this world. As a matter of fact, he said, you're going to have some. In this world, you will have trouble. It's a promise. It's a reality. I'm really thankful that, 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 that Christianity never paints a picture of that if you just get it all figured out right, if you can just do it all right, if you can just uh, do everything, everything is going to go shiny. Everything's going to be great. It doesn't. As a matter of fact, there's a promise of trouble. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, Jesus says, I've overcome the world. Uh, there's a new way through it. There's a, there's a new destination. There's a new end game that we have because of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And so we can take the troubles and the struggles of this world and we can have a different perspective on them knowing that we're serving a God who's at work in the midst of the problem, who's at work in the midst of the suffering, who's at work in the midst of the struggle that we're in, that he's wasting nothing, that he's always at work, that he's always faithful, that he's always steadfast, that he's always loving and he's always good. And because of that, the redeemed of the Lord should say so. We should speak about it. Why? Because we've been redeemed. And what is it to be redeemed? It means to be bought back. It means to be purchased, right? It's, we, 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 we redeem things like a coupon, right? And I've said this before, but you'll get, you'll, you'll get really tired of my analogies. But, but just get, get a coupon. Go get a coupon. And take the coupon and go to the cashier. Let's say it's a $10 coupon. Go to the cashier. Throw it on the thing with nothing in your hands and say, look, just give me the 10 bucks. I'll take the 10 bucks, right? <laughs> you see, the, the whole idea is that, is that the reason that the coupon has money is because the manufacturer backs that up. The manufacturer is what puts value and worth into the coupon. It's the manufacturer who is going to bring the value and redeem the coupon for what it's worth, the, the, the value of it. You see, we could take, a, we could take a, a dollar or something, you know, and we could take that dollar and we could just wad it up. We could rip part of it as long as we didn't rip the serial code, you know, in half. And we could, we could trounce this thing and, and we could take it back to the bank and we could say, can I have a new one? And they'll redeem that one. They'll give you a brand new $100 bill or whatever the deal is. Why? Because the value of it isn't really in the cloth of the paper. The value in it is, well, it used to be in gold. And, and it's, it, that's a bad analogy maybe nowadays. Maybe, maybe that's one I should get rid of. But something is backing the value of that. that that's, why, that's why it's still valuable. Even though it's been wadded up, even though it's been stomped on, that's why $100 is still worth $100 even if it's got a tear in it, even if it's all worn out, even if it's been through the washing machine and, and, and all of these different things. It still has value because the value isn't in it. Our value, not in us, not in who we've been, but in the God who backs us up, the God who created us, the God who made us in his image. He is the one 
who redeems our lives and brings it back and adds the value to it that it was intended to have. It's the story of redemption. It's, it's the picture of redemption, and we love redemption. You ever watch an old house getting restored? That's why all, the, all, all of the shows on TV, right, all of the HGTV stuff, it's why it's so popular. We love the story of redemption because it's knit into our souls. It's part of our being. It's part of who we are. So when we watch this old house that's dilapidated and falling down and we see new life brought to it, we're like, yes, we love that. And we love to see that. Tristan and I are hooked on this show, Rust Valley Restorers. It's about old, old muscle cars. And, 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 the, and, and watching these old muscle cars go from a place of just being all rusted out and just like you look at the thing, you're like, there's no way. And then when they're done with it, man, it's like showroom, you know, brand new. We love the story of redemption. God has gathered his people from everywhere. It says from all of the lands, from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south. That God is uh, this redeeming God who, who, is, who is not contained by geography or places or spaces. He's a God who is working all the time, everywhere. We're told in the book of Revelation that one day heaven, in its representation, will have people of every tribe, every tongue, every nation. The diversity that God has created on a global scale will have representation of it in heaven. That God is saving people everywhere. We wonder a lot of times, we get kind of stuck. We're like, well, what about these people or that, those people or whatever that maybe haven't heard or they didn't hear the gospel? And, and I want to tell you two things about that. One is that God is not near, he's not far from anyone, right? The book of Acts tells us that he is never far from anyone. And, and there are amazing stories of conversion of people that are all over the place that I've, I've gotten to hear. As a matter of fact, we're, we're a long ways here uh, from where it all happened, but somehow we've heard, right? That, that God is, he is doing this and God is just. At the end of the day, God is gonna do it and he's gonna do it perfectly. And whatever decisions God makes on some of those levels, they're gonna be right. Nothing is gonna be wrong that God has done. But God is redeeming, he's saving people on a global scale right now and always has been. Verse 4, some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. And he led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. It's this picture of just that, that people are wondering. This is, this is a story for us, and, and this is a place, too, to, to understand where, where did you come into this? Where did, you, where did your life intersect with, with Jesus? Where did he come in and change? And, and, and for this, it's this picture that they were just lost. They just didn't know anything. They were wandering out in this desert. They were directionless. They, we, we, we didn't have a, a clue about where we were going. We didn't know why we existed or what life was really about. We were just wandering out there in this desert. And there was no place. We were looking for something. We were looking for a place to dwell, a place to be. You see, you and I, we were created for community. 
There's just no two ways around it. And, and the world that we're living in is craving authentic community. And the church is, is meant to offer and be that. We're supposed to be an inhabited city, a place where somebody can come and find fellowship, where they can come and they can find a place to be, where they can find to become a part of a family. You see, because we, we, we wander around and people are always trying to be a part of something, always looking for a cause to be a part of. And we have the greatest cause ever. And we should be a group that has the greatest community as well. Being open with that, a place where, uh, you know, where, where, where people can come who have no place else. And, and that happens and we're, we're doing that. I want to tell you, we have people that walk in the door that, that come and they have no place to be. And we try to provide as best we can fellowship for them. And a place where they can come and they can be. It's a, it's a picture of, of just being that, but, but also, too, of, of finding a way to be a part of something because, really, it, we're hungry and we're thirsty for more. If we're subjecting ourselves just to this world and what the world has to offer it, it doesn't have much to offer us in actuality. It has a lot of lies, a lot of deceptions. It begins to tell us that life is about this or it's about that or it's this thing or it's that thing or here's how you have it or you'd be content when you have this. And see, that's the opposite of contentment. You'll never be content when you have this. You're either content today or you're just not content. That's, that's the reality of contentment. It's either a reality in our lives or it's not. And if we're looking for the next thing to provide contentment, that's the opposite of contentment. But we're wandering, we wander in this desert, the desert of this world, hungry and thirsty, looking, knowing that there's more to life, there's got to be more to life than what we're finding. And again, the church, we're, we're meant to be that community of people that are there. Because that's what happened. Then they, they cried to the Lord. Maybe you found this. Maybe this was you. Maybe you were wandering and you were hungry and you were thirsty. You didn't know what life was about or why you were here. And then you began to, 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 to cry out to the Lord and just say, isn't there something else? And you see, this is the faithfulness. You see, God, when he's saving people, the place that he's going to take them to is to his church. It's, it's the... It's the means on earth by which Jesus is, is moving today. It's, the, it's, the, it's a weird organization. Trust me, I'm a pastor. It's really weird sometimes. But it's a beautiful mess is what it is. But you see, this is who we are. And where is he going to take them? He delivered them from their distress. And he led them by a straight way until they reached a city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man, for he satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good things. You see, it's only God that can fulfill that spot in our heart, that hole in our heart, right, that God-shaped hole. It's only him that can fill it. You can't, you can't stuff enough money or position or power or, or, or alcohol or sex or drugs or any of those kinds of things into that hole and have it become ultimately a very fulfilling thing. It will always leave you empty. There's only one thing. It's that we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And when we get that in the right order, then everything else takes its right place. 
And then also those other things. We have a a new perspective on life and God changes us. But he's the one who satisfies the longing that's within us. Verse 10, some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death. Prisoners in affliction and in irons. For they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. This is a reality, right? Is that so many in the world today are stuck in the darkness of of what they're up to. This particular thing talks about how they're, they're drawn and they're pulled into the shadow of death. And now life looks a whole lot more like death than it does life for them. They're prisoners in affliction and they're in irons. They're bound up. Why? Because they rebelled against the words of God. You see, God gives us direction through this life. He, he really does. His, his word, his... Uh, First John, I think, is, tells us that, that his, his, his commands aren't irksome or burdensome. They're not meant to be a burden to us. They're meant to be freedom for us. They're, they're the very things that are meant to keep us out of the bondage of, of these, uh, these shackles that we tend to get into. You see, when God says don't do something, he's saying don't hurt yourself. Don't, don't subject yourself to the bondage. When he says things like don't lie, he's like stay free. Don't get into bondage of the lie, right? Because if we choose to lie, guess what? You just lost your freedom. You got to tell, you got you to remember what you said, who you said it to. You got to tell more up to cover it up. And you got to live with the fear of being exposed to your lie. You just lost your freedom. You now are in bondage. And so, so the things that God is instructing us, his instruction is meant to preserve our freedom. And, and there's a reality, you see, that we, we don't understand freedom. See, we start to think things like freedom means doing what I want to do. Only I don't know about you, but I can promise you from my experience, me doing what I wanted to do never led me to freedom. It always led me to bondage. It always led me to some form of bondage being owned by something, mastered by something that I was never meant to be. Freedom is doing what keeps you out of bondage. That's the real definition of freedom. And how do we find how to stay out of bondage? Well, God has given us his word. And when we rebel against that, and certainly I have, trust me, on everything, every point, I'm a rebel. I've defied God and the things that he said. And I suffered the consequences of going against the things that God told me how to live. Like I've said before, you cannot break God's law. You can push up hard against it and suffer the consequences of that, but you can never break it. It just is. It's just his truth. And and so when we we push up hard against it, when we rebel against God's word, we always suffer then the consequences. We put ourselves into into, uh, bondage. We, We live in darkness near the shadow of death. Why? Because... We've spurned it even. We've laughed. We've mocked it. I've mocked God's word in my life. Whatever. 
man, only to find myself, to come back later and to realize just how twisted my thinking was. How, 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 how so much I had come to believe that if 51% of the people did something, now it was okay. And it was morally correct. See, the Bible's a, it's a book, it's books of ethics. And ethics are how things ought to be. It is always a standard that's unchanging. Our morality within our culture begins something to, that starts to shift and, and gets ch- taken off and, and, and way over here. But you see, we're meant to be a people of God's ethics that we continue to go back and we say, hey, wrong is wrong, even if everybody does it, right? And right is right, even if nobody does it. It doesn't matter. It's the truth. And then it says that they spurned the counsel of the Most High, so he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. And God is good enough to bring hard labor into the rebellious heart. It says he bowed their hearts down. And my own personal experience in, in my coming to know Jesus was that I just... I went through the dark night of the soul on the inside. That, that my life was such a mess. That I tried to rid the world of beer and, and, and it was my answer to everything. And, and, um, and, and it took me to this place where, where it was so dark on the inside. And it was so much work. And there was so little joy. In my heart, I just felt it. It was getting harder and harder and harder. And, and I knew that, that like, I, I was, the bus of my life, I was driving it over a cliff, and I needed a new driver. And then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of the darkness and the shadow of death, and he burst their bonds apart. You see, it's all God. It's all him. It's all his work. It, And you and I, we at times get to have the privilege of being a part of what God is doing. But let me just tell you, apart from the Holy Spirit, nothing happens. Nothing happens. No heart is ever changed. No truth is ever revealed. Nothing happens apart from the Holy Spirit. It's all God. But God, this is his work. He's the one who wants to deliver us. It's just that he wants us to begin to agree with him. The whole concept of repentance is agreement with God. It's going back and saying, I've done this. I believe this. I went this direction and I was wrong in it. And when I begin to agree with God and admit where I've been, it moves me over into a place of reality in my life and it opens up the doorways and the floodgates to healing. But before that, there's no healing because there's no recognition of a need for healing. But this is the God that we're talking about. The minute that we cry out to the Lord, he delivers. He delivers from distress. He brings us out of darkness and the shadow of death, death and he takes and he cuts all of the chains off of us that we had so tightly bound ourselves in. Let them, if that's you today, let them thank the Lord. You thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts in two the bars of iron. There is nothing too great for him. There is nothing that he can't do. There's no struggle. There's no problem in here. There's no depth of darkness here that he can't pierce and that his light can't penetrate. There's no bonds and there's no chains that he can't cut. 
He's completely and totally always able to completely and radically change the circumstances of our lives when we cry out to him. When we cry out to him. And we cry out and we pick and we stick. Not just crying out to him because we want out of our situation, but crying out to him because we recognize he's the reality. He's the answer to everything, that he is the way, he is the truth, he is the life. That apart from him, where would we go? We have no place and we have no good thing. Every good thing comes from him and he is the one that can do all of these things. But again, very often, all we want is out of our circumstances. Oh, sure, we're crying and we're in trouble because of the consequences of what we've got going on. But until we have a heart that really wants God, not just out of our circumstances, the the, the changes will be short term, I promise you. But the day that you desire God more than anything else, when you start to recognize that regardless of where you go, even if your circumstances don't change today, you're still going with him. That's the day things start to really change. That's the day that all of those things are cut off. Some were fools through their sinful ways. And because their iniquities, they suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food and they drew near to the gates of death. Sin always has one result. It brings death. It always brings death. It never brings life. It never brings good things. When we look into our own lives and we look into the culture around us, anything that God has deemed sin will not bring life to the individual or the culture. It won't do it. It will bring death every time. And James tells us, right, that, that, that it's, it really is born in us. That, that it comes from our own lust. And, and, and when lust is... Uh, conceived, it it gives birth to to sin. When sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. When we live sin out in our lives, and remember, sin is simply an archery term. It means to miss the mark, that God has given us a standard and he's given us a mark. And anything that we do, when when we shoot that arrow and we miss the bullseye and we miss the mark, it's sin. And again, it's not just sins of commission. It's not just what we do. It's also sins of omission to the one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it. Yet to him or her, it is sin. This is sin, but the effects of sin in our lives are never good. They always bring us towards death. They always take us into the darkness. They always give room and they give the enemy access into our lives. They give him a legal right even to come in and to begin to bring bring difficulties, to torment, to, to, uh, to, to, to move us, to, to afflict us. But it's our own stuff, and we can't blame God for it. We can't be like, how did you let this happen to me? This is what we do, right? How did you let this happen to me? And, and, and there are things, don't get me wrong, there are things that just happen and there are bad things that happen to good people. But in reality, that's generally not what we're talking about. 
Most generally what we're talking about are the things that we've, we've done. We've allowed seeds of sin to, to be planted in our lives and in our hearts. And we've, we've, we've ultimately, we, we, we've thrown that seed and then there comes a day where we reap a harvest out of that. And we never want to pay that bill. Right? Somebody said, you know, that idea that sin is always going to take you further than you want to go. It's always going to cost you more than you want to pay. <clears throat> it's fun until the bill comes due sometimes. Generally, it's, it's only fun until it becomes work. It's, it's always a bondage. It's, it's always a taskmaster. It always has ownership. It always masters us. It always takes us where we don't want to go. It always destroys people and families and marriages and communities and churches. It's, it's just, it brings death. Because there's one that's come, right? It's the enemy. And he's come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Those are, those are what he's here for, to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And it takes on all kinds of forms of, of what that looks like in the world around us, all forms of sin, all forms of, of this and that and all of that, but it always has the same results. It always steals, it always kills, it always destroys. But Jesus, he's come that we might have life and that we might have it in abundance. He's come to be the answer to these things, to pull us out of that darkness, to cut all of these uh, these, these bonds that are on us to, to, to move us into a new place, to take us out of what's mastered us and to set us free into his goodness. See, it says he sent his word and he healed them. They cried out to the Lord in their trouble. He delivered them from their distresses and he sent his word and healed them. <clears throat> and he delivered them from their destruction. From their destruction. I don't know about you, but I'm enough trouble for me. I, I don't even need all this stuff going on in the world, you know, to get me in trouble. I'm, I'm enough for me. Apart from Jesus, I'm a wretch, and I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm trouble looking to happen. But he delivers them from their own destruction. He sent his word, and it healed them. That God's word has this, it's a balm, it's a salve, it has a healing effect in our lives. When we start to understand the truth and we, we repent and we turn, we begin to agree with God more and more about what is the truth, there is a healing thing that begins to happen. His word actually heals us and delivers us from our own destruction. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man, and let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving to tell of his deeds in songs of joy. Next, it says that some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy winds, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven and they went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wits' end. We've all got business. And there are times where our business gets to be out of sync. It's out of sync with, with our relationship to God and, 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 and what we're called to, to do and be in this world. Now, don't get me wrong. God is at work, and the, the business that we do is important business. The only problem ever with business is, is at times letting it get out of sync. 
And again, just like God was good enough to bow their hearts down to hard labor, there are times where God is good enough to send the storm. To, to reframe our perspective, to, 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 to shake us out of our business a little bit, to get us out of our business and into his business a little bit more. There are times where he's good enough just to send the storm. There's, good, there's times where what we need is to reframe our priorities. We need to, to take a look. We need to step back and we need to say, what is this all about? We need to be shaken out of our business at times and be reminded about what's really important and where we're going. Where we're going and hopefully who we're taking with us because one of the functions of the church should be to make heaven a more crowded place. But our business and what we're about and who we are, it, it, it tends to just leave us attentive just to that. What God wants is, God wants to come into every area of our lives, every aspect of our lives. He, he wants to be a part of everything that we're doing and every business thing that we're doing out there, whatever business that is that we have, the key simply is to just let him in. And he's good enough not to just leave us there, to leave us just staggering like drunk men thinking that this is what it's all about or just that, that it's just all business. He's good enough to remind us sometimes that there's more to this. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Let them extol him on the, in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. They were glad when they made land fall. As a matter of fact, they got out and probably kissed the land after uh, being in a storm like that. You see, there's nothing like being that far out of your control, the control of what you have. And I think that to be uh, in a totally foreign environment with all of the environment around you, just nothing but hostile to you, uh, will reframe how you see things. Um, and, and that's the deal here. It's, it's, it's such a great analogy, such a great thought about the idea, and we've all been there where, where you're on the edge and you feel like you're about to die in this situation, that, that it's completely out of your control, that this storm is something that you didn't ask for and you don't necessarily understand, but it's all around you and it's all happening and you feel like you're about to die in the midst of it. And when we call out to the Lord in the midst of that, then he makes it all go still. He's the one who can still the waves and, and, and hush the sea. And he's the one who then can reframe that perspective and make us really grateful to make it to our desired haven. Start to recognize the reality of what this is all about. You see... The last part of this begins to tell us a little bit about who he is and, and, and what he can do. It says that he turns rivers into a desert, springs of water into thirsty ground, a fruitful land into a salty waste because of the evil of its inhabitants. God can flip things. What's it saying? He can flip the script. 
He can change things and what, 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 what things once were and what conditions once were and how they are. Sometimes, depending on, on what our perspective on those things is, is that he can bless or with a snap of his finger, he can turn it all into a desert. What was lush, what was beautiful, what was, what was provision, what was all-encompassing, what was all good, he can snap his fingers and he can turn that into a wasteland. He can completely change it. Why? Because of the evil of its inhabitants. I, I'm wondering if, if we're not seeing some of that in our, in our nation because of where we're at, where we're at as a nation where we're at as a society and as a people and that we've, we've, we've basically become a people who have spurned God's word, who have, re, who, have, who have rejected it, who are going our own way, who are tending just to our own business, thinking that we're smarter than, than God. As a matter of fact, just attaining to just being God. We don't need God. We'll just be God. This says, look, he can change it in an instant. And he does, and I... I, I, I don't believe that what we're seeing is, is, is something that's not changeable or reversible or that I'm not saying we won't see it, but I personally believe that we're seeing the downfall of our nation. Why? Because of our rejection of God. Because we've pushed away from God. Because we've, we, we've left his moral compass that he's given us. And we've begun to call what is evil good and what is good evil. And we now are a people that are beginning to see the ramifications of, of what happens when the nation rejects God. Now, make no, no doubt about it. God will continue, no matter what he does with this nation, he's going to keep saving people out of it. And individuals are always free to come and change and to cry out to the Lord. But there are times, and we see that in here, where God brings judgment to nations. Are we there? Well, I don't know. But uh, we're, we're, we're on a slippery slope. I know that. See, because it says that he turns those things, he flips it. He turns the desert into pools of water and a parched land into springs of water. And there he lets the hungry dwell. And they establish a city to live in. They sow fields and plant vineyards and get a fruitful yield. By his blessing, they multiply greatly and he does not let their livestock diminish. God can cause the desert to bloom. And what would seem to be just a, a, a deserted place, a, something that has nothing, that there's no provision there, there's no water there, there's no food. It says there that he will bring the hungry into that place and then he will change the circumstance of that place. And he'll make it a fruitful place. Sometimes that looks like our lives, you know. Sometimes God changes our life. Sometimes our lives are really good and headed in a really good direction or, or what we would say anyway and, and, and all of those things. But, but we spurn God and we, we push away and, and, and at times and we see it in people's lives all the time that sin takes over and it comes in and then it just decimates their lives. And we see other people whose lives was nothing but a decimation, addiction, struggles, all kinds of stuff, but then they turn and they trust the Lord and they begin to follow him and his word heals them and changes them and delivers them out of that and he turns that into a fruitful place, into just springs of water and they establish a city, a place to be, to live in 
And, and I believe that. I believe that regardless of what happens out there, that God can preserve his community, his church. Not just this church, his global church and his church uh, in Sheridan. And he does that. And he does that on a worldwide basis all the time. When they are diminished and brought low through oppression, evil, and sorrow, he pours contempt on princes and makes them wander in a trackless desert. But he raises up the needy out of affliction and makes their families like flocks. The upright see it and are glad, and all wickedness shuts its mouth. Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. You see, it's not the well-to-do. It's not those who think they've got it all figured out. It's not the good people of the world that the Lord raises up. It's the needy of this world that he raises up. It's, it's those who are spiritually poor that inherit the kingdom of heaven. It's those who recognize the reality of where they're at and what their need is. When they recognize the, the reality of the finitude of who we are, of the temporalness of who we are. And apart from Christ, the reality that we have no good thing, but we start to understand and recognize that he is a God who is sovereign over all things. That he has all power, all ability. He can do all things. There's nothing that is too great and there's nothing that is out of his control. And then it says, let those who are wise. Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. The Bible tells us the first step to wisdom. And it's the fear of the Lord. It's a right understanding of who God is and his, his powers and his abilities. It's like sometimes as Christians, we think like if Jesus came right now and he came through the back door, that we would all run up and high five him. You would not. You would be on your face until he tells you you can get up. This is the reality of who he is. Yes, he's good. Yes, he's, he, he's, he's God. Yes, he's, he's a friend. But he's God. And he holds all power. And again, in his presence, you would be nothing but on your face. So the wisdom that, that God is asking is to, is, is to have a right understanding of who he is. You see, no one would sin on purpose if they understood, if they had a true fear of the Lord. You know? If you have an understanding of his, his presence and who he is, that he's, that he's always there, that he's never not there. If Jesus was hanging out with you, you, you wouldn't click on stuff on the computer. He was right there. Or we wouldn't act this way in, in public or, or while we're driving or, or in secret when nobody's seeing. Or if we understood the reality of who this God is, we begin to have a fear, an awe, and a respect of the power in which he wields. And you see, that power, that respect, and that awe of who God is would begin to change our lives in unprecedented ways when we understand that he's the one who can flip the script just like that. Either way. And we bring him into everything. And we consider these things that he's given and who he is. And then we understand, man, he's for us and he loves us. He gets us. He has a plan for us. Lord, we thank you for who you are. 
We want to live in a right fear and awe and respect of, of who you are. Lord, may we, may we be a wise people. May we have the wisdom of the fear of the Lord. May we not just minimize who you are or, or, or live our lives in a way which, which just kind of minimizes who you are. May we maximize who you are in the world around us. And may we live for you in all that we do. And may we understand that, God, you're, you're the one who's able you're the one who's willing. You're the one who's good. And apart from you, we just have no good thing. So, Lord, we're praying, too, that you create in us a, a community, a, an inhabited city, a place for those who are wandering aimlessly, a place for them to come and to be. And, Lord, as we go out of here, help us to have close on our lips, help us to speak uh, the goodness of the Lord. Let the redeemed say so. May we be mindful of what you've rescued us from, and may we be quick to share that hope with others. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen.